Hey, it's Jeremy of the Ultra Running Guys. Jeff and I just wanted to say thank you so much for kicking off 2022 with us. We could not be more excited about what lies ahead. And on that note, we actually just launched our very own Patreon. So if you're interested in seeing behind the scenes content and just being more involved as we continue to learn and grow and add value to this community, go check out the links. We'll have it in the description and we hope to see you over there. And with that, enjoy this episode with Hillary Allen. She is an absolute powerhouse. Happy New Year. You know, I was crying. I was honest with my emotions and how I was feeling. And I remember at that finish line, this is, that's what I thought to myself. I said, this is what strength looks like. And strength to me looks like experiencing fear and seeing it right there in front of me and still choosing to walk towards it, still being afraid of something, but realizing that and not letting it dictate my actions. And the funny thing with that is the more I kind of see fear as this big, scary monster and I you know, walk past it, the smaller that monster becomes. And welcome back to the Ultra Running Guys podcast. You got Jeremy Reynolds and Jeff Winchester of the Ultra Running Guys. And the reason we're here is to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. And for us, this is a super exciting episode for a couple of reasons. One, this episode's being released on January 1st, so it's New Year's, and it's the time when people have, uh, it's kind of a reset, right? We set goals, we can think about kind of a rebirth, we uh, determine who we want to become, and then we set out on that journey. And the person that we've got tonight, we think is the perfect person to help us kind of walk through that process. Because as we know, sometimes things don't always go to plan. And so there's some uh, some skills or mindset things that we're going to talk about tonight that hopefully will be super helpful. So our guest tonight, like I said, really is the athlete to help us kind of walk through this. So you may already know her. If you don't, you should. So pay close attention. She's an elite ultra runner. Uh, re just recently won the Madeira Island Ultra Trail 115 kilometer race. So I'm sure we'll touch on that. She's a coach with Charmin Ultra Endurance Coaching. Just so happens to also coach Michelle Goldberg, who most of you know and love. We are a fan. One of our favorite people ever. We are a fan. <laughs> uh, she is co-host for the Trail Society podcast. And most notably, she's the author of the book, Out and Back, A Runner's Story of Survival Against All Odds, which uh, I can say with honesty is an outstanding book. It is fantastic. Um, it is a very good read. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, but make sure you go grab that. But Hillary Allen, the Hilly Goat. Welcome to the podcast. Ah, thanks for that wonderful introduction. Uh, that's great. Um, <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. And also Michelle, she's amazing. So <laughs> yeah, well, and, and we have a couple connections. We know you were also on the podcast with Gags. Um, and so we've just kind of been introduced to you and learned a lot about you. And so there's a lot we want to talk about, but I think for, as we walk through the process for people to get a context of why we believe you're the expert, right? And um, maybe walking through where you want to go, setting goals, and then dealing with difficulties. You had a pretty crazy day back in 2017. And so if we could just do, for everybody, go read the book. You're going to get all the details you want there. But if you could kind of just give the context of 
one, I guess, what is sky running? Because that plays a role into it. But then two, just walk us through the, uh, a quick experience of that day. So we've got the context as we talk through the next steps. Yeah. So first of all, sky running. Um, so I got my start in running a bit, but kind of quickly. Um, I actually started running when I was in graduate school. And um, so I started running on the roads and then I just kind of quickly fell in love with trail after I did like a few, you know, road marathons and was kind of bored by it. Um, but then, you know, once I kind of got on the trails, I just got really intrigued with running uphill. And I figured I, I discovered I had this knack at it. And I, I don't know how I discovered it, but I discovered this thing called sky running, which was, it's kind of like the, the, the steepest trails that you can imagine. <laughs> um, pretty technical. I mean, I live in Colorado, so, you know, some of these, these sky races, you know, they're, they're like at ski resorts. Cause you can go like straight up the ski hill. So a typical sky running race is like, you know, for, for a 50 kilometer race, which is about 31 miles it gains anywhere between as minimum 11,000 feet. Um, I've run some sky races, which are like 34 miles and have had over 14,000 feet. Um, so some of the iconic ones in the U S uh, speed goat 50 K, um, run the rut, um, the broken arrow sky race, um, Let's see, there's some other ones obviously that I'm missing. There's a Flagstaff Sky Race, kind of these, just these really steep and technical races. And I got, had some success early on. And so that kind of, um, I wanted more of it. Uh, and more of it is actually <laughs> over across the pond in Europe. So um, there's the steeper terrain there, right? They're not as high as altitude, but they're, it's really steep. Um, I'm actually missing a race on the East coast. I have to shout out to it. It's the quest for the crest 50 K oh, yeah. that was a super tough race. And it was a sky race also, um, you know, in 30 miles gain, like, mm -hmm. you know, 12,000 feet or something like this, you start with a vertical kilometer. It's yeah, it's pretty intense. Um, and so I've been racing and running, um, you know, uh, for the sky running circuit, uh, primarily in Europe, but also the U S since 2015. Uh, and you know, I devote my, my, my season to it. So I'd pack up my bags and, uh, my teaching job and I would move to Europe and I would do this, this race series. And, um, I picked the races based on kind of their challenging races, but kind of where they were and a race that I always had wanted to do was the sky race in Norway in Tromso, Norway, um, you know, killing journey and Emily Forsberg, they created this race in this course. And I had to go try it out because it was kind of the style of race that I loved to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was at that point in my season, I was actually leading the world sky running, um, series. So I was actually ranked number one in the world in this no. race. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, I was having a great season. This race was just kind of, it was kind of an extra, it was a, a categorized as an extreme sky race. And so like a poor performance wouldn't do anything for me, but I just wanted to do it anyways. Um, and about, you know, halfway through the race, um, we had like, we had a perfect day, even though there was rain the days before it was a clear day. Um, but I remember seeing some people that I knew, some photographers on course. And I remember one minute I was running and smiling. And the next minute the sky was upside down and I was falling. Um, and I mean, I, it's still a dream that I have today. The, the feeling of me falling and that kind of, I heard my own voice just say to myself that this was it, that, you know, I wasn't going to survive this and, um, that I had to brace myself for impact and, kind of do what I could. Um, and then, 
you know, it's kind of a, it's like a, it's almost like a movie, like kind of this like blurred um, experience and these snippets of like, you know, doctors faces, um, people I recognized, people I didn't and, you know, helicopter rescue and then waking up um, in the hospital. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And, there, and so obviously you skipped a whole part of the story, which was intentional. We kind of put you there, but to just to tell everybody that's listening again, go check out the book because we, Jeff and I were talking, we're like, we could talk for 10 episodes probably, <laughs> you know, uh, along with you. So you fell 150 feet essentially mm-hmm. off a ledge and bounced a few times on the way down, just so our listeners understand Give us some numbers. We know you broke multiple bones. We know there was, you know, how long was your initial recovery before you could walk? Give us just some of those quick rundown numbers so people can really understand the situation you you found yourself in. Yeah. And so, I mean, I had never broken a bone before and in total I had broken 14. So I had broken, you know, both arms, two bones in my back, five ribs, both of my feet, Um, and I was just covered in cuts. Um, I had ruptured a major ligament in my foot that was misdiagnosed in Norway, but back here in Colorado, um, I, it was diagnosed as a Liz Franck, uh, injury. So I had ruptured kind of the integrity of the arch of my foot, which is essential for running. And I was told that, you know, I might, I would never run again. Um, and I mean, but also it's just, I, I keep on going back to this. I still have like these scars all over my body, you know, cause sometimes I forget what happened and it's really easy, you know, I, after writing about the story and I'll, I'll, you know, being here now and, you know, listening to your intro that, you know, I've, you know, now won races, but it, it's, it's easy to forget how serious of, of an accident it was 150 feet, you know, I mean, after impacting the hillside, maybe, you know, five or six times, that's many opportunities to break my neck, fracture my skull, um, you know, be paralyzed. And I was so lucky that that didn't happen. Um, But, you know, it was so much so that the people that were at the rescue, um, I talked to them afterwards that they, when they saw it happened and the first runner who saw it happen was trained in search and rescue. And he scrambled down to me. I mean, he, he said that he thought he was going to recover a body. He didn't think that I would be alive. And it wasn't until he was moving me from the side of the mountain that he actually realized I was breathing because when he first saw me, he didn't even check for a pulse. And so I was in the hospital bed in Norway for two weeks before I was even able to come back home. And it was even, it was a huge deal to come back home because I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair. Um, the one foot I had broken, the other one I had also broken, but you know, I, I couldn't really put weight on it. We had to get a private jet to come get me, um, because they didn't have a plane big enough for like wheelchair access. Um, I mean, it's hard to quantify the recovery. I was definitely not walking, um, for three months on my right foot because I had to have surgery. I had also operations on both my wrists and, um, I could not carry more than a, you know, a Coke can or, you know, a beer can (laughs) depending on the mood I was in, uh, for, you know, the eight to 10 weeks that those are recovering. So, you know, any, it was, it was extremely demoralizing. I mean, I didn't feel like myself for the better part of a year. And in many ways, I still think, you know, my body has changed from it. I'm still, you know, not the same. I can say that I'm still recovering. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to quantify 
those things. It's not like, you know, a, a quick fix injury thing. And right. certainly also not the mental side of it, which is something I've still had to continue to kind of overcome uh, even now. Yeah. I mean, that's actually kind of where we, where we uh, became very fascinated with the story. So your story was incredible. Um, and again, we've, we've said it multiple times, everyone should listen to the book or I say listen to, cause I'm a runner and <laughs> I barely read. I just listen, you know, audibly. And so, but I think you should take the time to kind of hear um, Hillary's story. And for those who are listening, because I think everyone can relate in a lot of ways. Um, like we said in the beginning, this episode is being um, released on January 1st. It's going to be New, New Year's Day. There are a lot of people who sit back and they, they take a, a stock of their lives and where they are in that moment. And they want to do something different and they want to figure out how to make their lives different for the next year. Mm -hmm. um, they have to decide that they're going to do something different. But, but you, in, in your story, you went through months just trying to figure out how you're going to, to walk again, right? But, but you had to make a decision that you were going to do something, that you were not going to just be inactive and not do anything ever again. And one of the things that really stood out to both of us is that I think was within two weeks, you began these personal affirmations of, you know, believing more about your future potential and stuff. And so we also think that those who are setting out maybe this year to do their first 50 mile or first hundred mile, right? That they have to have some personal self-belief about themselves too, that, that this is something that they can attain. How, how do you use this mantra of believing that your best athletic potential is ahead of you um, still today? Oh man, that's such a good question. Um, but before we go any further, I have to wish you a happy birthday. I hear you have a birthday tomorrow. <laughs> what amazing. <laughs> so we're oh gonna timestamp this because obviously it's coming out January 1st, but still I wanted to do it. How, how did, did everyone can hear? You said that is a shock. <laughs> this is brand new information. How did you know? <laughs> you are a legend. Well, you have you. you have an amazing co-host. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate that. By the way, I'm the best friend ever, it right? Caught me by surprise. <laughs> Keep going. Let's go back I, to believe. I though. just got a happy birthday from the Hilly Goat. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah. So, right. anyways, um, I mean, maybe believing your best athletic days ahead of you comes yep. with you know some telepathy, or I'm like, you know. <laughs> 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 No, um, but anyways, uh, so yeah, so I mean, writing to me has always been a form of catharsis. I mean, I'm a scientist. And so like, I think it was ingrained in me to like write everything down, whether it was like a procedure for like my ochem or like, you know, my like, biochemistry, like mechanism that I was working through. And that kind of came into emotional expression as well. And it was a, a journaling was a way for me to get out everything. And it was, um, this just kind of freedom of expression that I just, I needed. Um, I can be a very blunt person. Um, I'm a very genuine person. So that means I'm genuinely happy most of the time, but also I can genuinely express anger, uh, and like, you know, other emotions that maybe aren't so like warm and fuzzy. Uh, and so journaling was this place for me where I could just express all of that. And I wasn't judged for it. Only I could read it. You know, my handwriting's horrible. So no one else could read it, even if they tried. Um, so that's why, you know, I typed the book, uh, but it started to be my lifeline. I was having trouble writing just because I'd broken both, both wrists, but like, that was something that I could do to like, really put down exactly what I was feeling because I didn't, I was experiencing all of these emotions, but like, you know, if someone asked me, all I could say was like, all I could do was cry. Honestly, I, I couldn't really express how I was feeling. So that's what you know, what started with, um, you know, writing down these affirmations kind of a way for me to, um, to 
this sounds so weird, but like manifest hope, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like putting it out in the world and not just speaking it, but writing it down. It gave it some sort of permanence because I could go back to that day and I could read what I wrote. And this, this mantra that I wrote down that really has had lasting effect on me was believe and it manifested into believe your best athletic days are ahead of you. Mm -hmm. And I started writing this down, you know, days after I got this diagnosis that I might never run again. And when I had to have surgery on my foot, that could potentially take that away from me forever. Um, especially in elite running career. Um, and I mean, you mentioned at the beginning of this episode, and I'm going to try not to cry, uh, but about me winning mute. Um, and so Madeira Island Ultra Trail, it's, it's a pretty tough race. It was, uh, uh, like just shy of 120 K and it gains 24,000 feet. Um, this is a race that I thought that I would never do. In fact, before this accident in 2017, I was on Madeira Island and I raced the sky race there. And I actually won it that year in 2017 before heading to Tromso. And I remember knowing about this race and this ultra race in Madeira and thinking, I'll never do something that long. Like that's out of my league. Right. And so returning to this Island and running this race years after this accident that nearly killed me and kind of changed my trajectory as an athlete, I did a lot of reflecting during that race on kind of this whole process. And I know that believing my best athletic days are ahead of me, it's what allowed me to not give up for these four and a half years that I've been working through the recovery from the accident, but also the other injuries that I've had that have been related to this, to this accident. I mean, even earlier this season, I broke my foot and I had to have surgery and those nearest to me, they got to see a really raw part of me, which I doubted that I could do this again, that if I wanted to do it again, this would be the third time that I'd have to learn how to walk and run again. And, but there was something down deep down that I, that I knew that I couldn't, I couldn't give up on myself. And it wasn't the fact that I needed to be an elite runner again. It was the fact that movement and running was a form of self-expression that is just incredibly important to me. And if I gave up on that, I felt like I was giving up on myself. And so there was just something deep down inside of me that I, I had to keep believing that it was possible. And I feel like all of the moments and, you know, seconds and days and hours that that four and a half years kind of spanned, I think every day that, that belief uh, that my best athletic days are ahead of me. It culminated in that, that race in that moment that I was able to cross the finish line. Um, and I don't think it's done. I think it's, you know, it's what continues to inspire me to, you know, take an off season now and then continue working towards goals in the future. I think it's so, I know you want to jump no, in. You can go. <laughs> Very long answer. No, Sorry. It was a no. fantastic it's answer. perfect. And so one of the things that, like I said, we wanted to do, we wanted to kind of set a roadmap for goals right? Hey, it's January 1st this is what we want to do. And we've established you're an expert in that. You were forced into that situation. I mean, obviously prior to the accident, you had a habit of reaching goals, but mm. this was a little bit different. So step one is believe. And you just kind of, you talked about how important that is. And so if you're listening, right, you know, it's, Hey, we set a goal, we have to believe it. Um, and part of that is manifesting what, even sometimes when you doubt it, mm-hmm 
put it out there, repeat it to yourself, whatever you got to do to believe it. So step two, though, now we've established this belief is kind of getting started and you kind of just started to go she into, bridged it. into it. Yeah, you bridged into it. <laughs> um, so great. We've set a goal. We believe we've started this process and then it's the next morning and the alarm goes off. And you go, oh my God, what am I doing? Oh, I don't <laughs> want to do this or whatever it is, right? And so we were talking about it and I, we pulled a statistic, whether it's the real statistic or not. Hey, it's from Business Insider. Right. So 80% 80, <laughs> 80 of people break their resolutions by February. And if we look at it, the two kind of main categories we came up with were fear or discipline. So either you start, you, you come face to face with something and you go, I actually don't think I can do what I set out to do and you back away, or it's, I don't want to do the things that I know I need to do. And, you know, we, we get out of it. So many things from the book. So we're going to kind of go through a, a couple of the topics there, but you just bridge into it. So let's start with kind of the fear and doubt, because maybe it's not always here, but sometimes it, I guess doubt can play there. The, one of the quotes that really stood out to me was, this is what strength is, or this is what strength looks like when you were having to go through some of the things, what does that mean to you? And how does that play into fear or doubt as you're walking through the process? Oh man. I mean, so I've had, I've had to redefine what I think strength is. Um, I think many of us as athletes, we think strength is like the size of your muscles. Uh, you know, how you're split, how fast you can go. If you're PRing, um, you know, running is not the most comfortable, especially like your, you know, your interval days. I mean, I mean, I'm a science nerd. So it's like literally the scientists have quantified fitness in a way of your ability to withstand pain. So the fitter you are, the more pain you can endure. So it's like a simple, like put your hand in an ice bath and the amount of time that you can put your hand in that ice bath and then remove it. Right. Um, that's, that correlated to how fit you are. So marathoners, the further along they are in their training cycle, the longer they can put their hand in that ice water, which doesn't feel good. So, I mean, <laughs> I had to, I had this one dimensional view of what strength looked like, especially in the form of an athlete. And I, what I realized was that when I had all my strength taken away from me, my physical strength, right. Um, and there's that emotional strength to that grittiness, right? Like your ability to just like not tell anyone that you're suffering ability to just kind of, you know, go through the muck, but I had all that stripped for me. I had to ask for help in every single aspect of my life. I had a magnifying glass on me all the time. I couldn't even go to the bathroom by myself because I was a fall risk. I couldn't shower by myself. I couldn't, you know, hold the shampoo. I had like freaking bags on both my, you know, like how are you going to do that? So, I mean, I was just kind of raw and vulnerable. And I thought that I was weak and helpless and hopeless because I had to ask for help from everyone. And I started to feel, you know, depressed about it. I started to feel like I was, that there was no point. And I was so, you know, independent and I loved that about myself that I could just go run up these mountains and I could do what I set out to do. But the coolest thing that I found was that there's, there's strength in vulnerability and there's strength in asking for help. And that this, this idea of physical strength, you know, it's not, you can't really have it without the other. I mean, it, there's like, there's strength in numbers, like in a community and not only is there strength in asking help, there's strength in giving help and accepting it. 
And that's, that's what I started to realize. And that's what it was. It was kind of eye-opening for me because every other, like every other athlete that I knew, like we never talked about this kind of stuff, right? Like you have your, yeah, maybe your training buddy, but you know, if they're running slower than you, you just drop them. Like, (laughs) so it's kind of like ruthless, you know? Um, but really the whole idea is like, I remember as I was getting back into running and I started doing, I did my first sky race after I was back. I remember I was just crying because it was hard. It was scary. Went on this like super steep terrain. It was very technical. My ankles were still not, you know, like great. And we're going on this, you know, this glaciated terrain, this snowfield. And I was just not having very much fun. And, but I wanted to do it. And I like would, I would slow down and I, you know, I took my time. And I found a way to kind of get through it, but, you know, I was crying. I was honest with my emotions and how I was feeling. And I remember at that finish line, this is, that's what I thought to myself. I said, this is what strength looks like. And strength to me looks like experiencing fear and seeing it right there in front of me and still choosing to walk towards it, still being afraid of something, but realizing that and not letting it dictate my actions. And the funny thing with that is the more I kind of see fear as this big, scary monster and I, you know, walk past it, the smaller that monster becomes. Wow. Yeah, that's, so, I mean, when you were actually talking about the running Madeira again and just your doubts there that you would ever run it, actually, that's where I thought you were going to go with the fact that it, this is what strength is because to <laughs> me, that's the same concept. It just shows up in the macro level and something like that and also in the micro level in your day-to-day. And so the other area, though, is in the area of discipline. And one of the things that we've talked about um, in our podcast, we, we also do um, some local races here, is this idea of just showing up. It's, it's kind of like this byline we have. And so when we're listening to your book, I'm like, oh, Hillary says just show up also. Like she says that <laughs> as well. Like there were times she didn't want to go to do her PT and everything, but she just had to show up even though it kind of sucked. And that kind of stuff really got our attention. And so how do you... How do you encourage somebody who's got these goals? They're, they're going to sit maybe do their first 50 mile or first hundred mile. How do you encourage them on every day when that alarm goes off to literally just get up and go? <laughs> because, because sometimes you don't feel like it, right? right? You can, you can believe it to your blue in the face, but if you, there, there's moments that you just don't feel it. Motivation's at zero. Right. You know, you're, you're at, right. And you're at the bottom. So what advice do you give to that person to help them kind of just do it? Yeah. So, I mean, well. I can believe it, but still there's days where I don't, where I don't feel like it. And I think really for me, at least it's acknowledging that it's like, I know that I'm not going to feel motivated hundred percent all the time, but I know that deep down, this is, this is what I would say is that deep down, they believe in that process and that it's the day in and day out that every training day doesn't have to be perfect, but it's the consistency over time that leads up to this bigger goal. And I write about it in the, in the book too. It's like this, this, um, this thing that really helped me, it's like picture, I was picturing I was building a house and I grew up in this like nice, like brick style house um, when I was, when I was a kid. And so I thought about, I was building this brick house and I didn't know what it looked like, but I was building the foundation and every brick was a day. And I felt like, okay, if I could just do what I can today, that, you know, if, even if I'm not feeling the best, I'm still going to show up and do what I can, like mobility or just limit it some PT. I'll do what I can. And then that would be the brick that I was laying in the foundation that day. And sometimes, you know, it wasn't perfect. It was a little bit cracked if you like, you know, zoomed into it and it, you know, it was a little bit dusty or dirty, but then 
other days were other bricks and I'd put it next to that cracked one, it would make it stronger. And I felt like I was, every day was, even though it wasn't perfect, it was building this bigger picture and leading to some beautiful house that I didn't know what it looked like yet, but I know it was going to be, had a strong foundation because I just kept, I kept showing up. And I just love that because it doesn't mean that it has to be perfect. And I think many people have this unrealistic expectation of what, what a training block looks like, or, you know, or like a professional runner, it's like, they just train all the time and it's great. It's like, no, no, no. Like every run I have is not perfect. And I, sometimes I feel, you know, low motivation. And sometimes that's also, it's a really tricky balance of like listening when it's too much, right? Like for me, it's like, okay, well, I don't, I had slept crappy last night. Like I have a workout plan today. I'm going to shift that to tomorrow, but I'm still going to do the best training for me today. So, I mean, that's maybe more con- like, you know, convoluted, but I think for me, it's believing in that bigger process and doing what you can each day to make that beautiful picture. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's convoluted at all. I think it goes exactly where we thought it would go next. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do want to say though, like I relate to everything you're saying mm-hmm. so much and I still, like, I hate speed work. My coach, program speed work and I think it's because of the pressure it's the fear it's the doubt whatever it is even Mm. though it always goes fine and it doesn't really matter if it doesn't go well right but it's I still want to shy away from it and so when you put those two things together of okay well this is what strength is like it I don't like the fact or I want to shy away from it but I'm gonna step out the door and do it anyways because I'm just going to show up Mm -hmm. so for everybody listening just recognize that you know you're probably going to run into both those things when you have big goals they probably get exaggerated as well. And those two things are just so critical. So we appreciate that. So as Jeff said, so kind of jumping in. So now we've established first, we believe it, right? And then we get started. And so we got to kind of deal with those. And then everything goes perfect and we meet our goals, never, right? Never. <laughs> but we don't, we don't plan for it to go not perfect when we write down those goals. That's the problem. So, so that is the thing. And so obviously, as you mentioned, so you have this big comeback, you go run things. And then 18 months later, you, you break your ankle and even this year, right. And then this year related, you break a foot and have another surgery. So I I think the message is again, for all of us is that as we have these goals, even when we do it, even when we're just showing up, we have to be realistic in the fact there's going to be setbacks. And so you obviously, again, have, have dealt with that probably more than most people. Um, We talked about the ankle break you essentially started over and you, and just the way you talk about it in the book, it sounds like it was fairly heartbreaking. And I could imagine after the, the effort mm-hmm. and the focus that you had put in. So we talk about planning for failure. How do you psychologically essentially prepare for that? Because even today, right, you just won this great race, but we all know that tomorrow holds whatever it's going to hold. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, how do you balance the the drive towards the goal while also trying to prepare yourself that anything may happen? Oh yeah. So a couple things. So it's kind of to tap back into the, it's, it's a process, right? And it's not linear, right? Like everything it's the unexpected can happen. And I'd like to think that, you know, like, you know, that accident would like make me exempt from any future injury, (laughs) but, uh, that's not how life works. Unfortunately. Um, you'd also think it'd make me an expert in recovery and I'm not because it's still hard, but I think, and this, I do write about in the book as well, but it's just, it's a really big 
reason why I love to run and I love to train for these big, scary goals, because putting Madeira on my calendar was scary. It's a race that scares me. It's a distance that scares me. It's a technical terrain, but I, I want to do those kinds of challenges because I feel like they bring the best out of me. But the point here is that I believe in the process, the process of training so that so much so that this is going to sound weird, but like so much so that the, a result is kind of icing on the cake. If I can be healthy enough to get to a start line, that, that is the success. And the race, okay, if you want to judge my fitness and my worth as a person or an athlete based on one single day, I know really that's what we do in ultra running and, and races in general, right? It's like the opportunity to prove yourself. But I mean, I think that that's just so one-dimensional. And I think for me, that's not why I run. And for me, it's all of the other days that led up, you know, the problem solving, the like, you know, the, the shitty runs or the really good ones that like, you know, led up to that, to me being healthy enough to start on the start line. That's what matters to me. So then when I start racing, I know that if I have a horrible day out there and everything falls to pieces, I'm still going to love myself. I'm still going to think of myself as a great athlete. And even if I, you know, fall short of my goals or I don't win, or even if I do win, then, you know, it doesn't really change anything. And I don't think that I'm, you know, better or worse because of any single performance because it's fleeting. Like, you know, I can't hold on to the finish line, you know, a feeling that moment it's already gone. It's gone the moment it happened. Right. right. But I can reflect on all of those little moments that, and that training block that led me up to that. I can reflect on the memories of the race. I can reflect on like the journey and the process. And that to me is what matters so much more. But the irony of all of this is that I think that my mentality of really enjoying the process of training and, you know, having the courage to step on a start line for some really, you know, big, scary goal. And the fact that I'm not putting too much pressure on myself for a single performance, that's what allows me to actually reach that next level. And I think it can also be in a training block if you're doing a workout and you're scared and you're like, well, crap, what if I don't run the goal time that I wanted to? What if this workout goes poorly? Just try. And it doesn't matter because, you know, you're still gonna, you know, get eat breakfast when you get home. And like, <laughs> you know, like you're still gonna do all these normal things. You're still gonna go to sleep and do your, you know, easy run the next day. Um, but you know, it's, if you put that pressure off and you just do it because it's part of this, you know, this process, then I think it allows you to kind of have those great runs and those great performances. No, it's also, it's so, like speaking to me right now. And <laughs> So, to cry. so we've talked about kind of, kind of the, the macro. So if we stay, if we stay on setbacks for a minute, mm -hmm. something else that really stood out, and we've talked about it so much, right? <laughs> so that's kind of the macro, right? Here we have this goal and we may have this big setback that now we have to figure out, but let's talk race day. I mean, the same stuff, like you said, the same stuff happens on race day. We show up, we've got this plan <laughs> and then we're like super surprised when everything falls apart, right? Even though it, it does every. Yeah. So we talk, yeah, we, we talk about this a lot. Again, everyone's sitting down doing their goals. They're going to work on their mobility. They're going to work on their, their yoga, their stretching. They're going to work on their speed work, their hill work, whatever it is that they're going to add to their running plans to make them a better athlete for 2022. But very few people will sit down and work on the mental side of what they have to do on race day and what they're going to experience. And, you know, I was at a 50K this past week where I got injured, but beside the point, we won't talk about injuries because those suck. Um, but 
I was at a race and there were some people doing the hundred mile distance and they looked like they were in terror. And so I, I was passing one of them and he I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm fine. Uh, I'm a mile 23 and it's starting to hurt worse than I expected. I said, time out. I said, you can't be surprised by the suffering. Like, you knew this was going <laughs> to hurt at some point. So don't, don't all of a sudden get surprised. Like just, mm -hmm. just ignore that feeling because you're going to have to work through that. And it's going to go up and down, but, but don't be surprised throughout this course of the day that you're going to suffer. But I'm in, surprised when things go to plan. <laughs> Right. See, but, but that's the point, because all this work we do on our running plans with our coaches or whoever it is that we have, we pretend that one, if we can get our race plans to cor correct and we get all of our training done, then on race day, why did it hurt so soon? <laughs> right. Yeah. And we haven't mentally prepared. So what it, how, well, I don't know how to ask this question. I understand. <laughs> how do you help somebody mentally get in the ball game on race day and be aware of the fact that sometimes it's going to suffer? Yeah. So, I mean, and I still think that that that's important of like with your coach planning, like having a plan, you know, I think that that's really important, you know, having A, B, C through Z race plans. Um, but I think with the big takeaway goal of that races are about problem solving. That's what I love about them. I feel it's like the scientist in me. I get to go out there and just like these new things that go my way. Okay. Like I need to, I need to figure it out in real time. Right. And I think that's why training is important because, you know, you practice your nutrition, like all that other stuff, but I mean, I'm not going to go on a 17 hour training run, you know, like to recreate a race, like, <laughs> um, but races, I think are just an opportunity to, to work on problem solving. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's, it's like being flexible, right? It's a, I think that's, that's the biggest thing that I've learned. And it's so funny. Cause like, even though I, I won this race, nothing went to plan. And I like, I, I hurt a lot. Like just ask the people at the last aid station who asked if I needed like help. And I was like, no, I just have to keep going. <laughs> like if I want this to stop hurting, I just need to, to run faster <laughs> or like finish the thing. But, you know, and it's like something I'd tell myself too. It's like, you know, like, this is what I worked hard for. This is what I tapered for. So I get to go out there and experience everything that it is of, you know, running across an Island or like running an ultra. And I expect it to not feel mm -hmm. good. And I expect something to go wrong. And like, and even like after winning a race, it wasn't a perfect race. Like my, you know, I had to problem solve with nutrition. I had to problem solve with the weather. I had to problem solve with just mentally, like mental lows of hitting them, you know, pretty early. And it's not like I would expect it's like, you know, oh, you expect to hit a mental low about halfway through an ultra. Sometimes those things hit you at mile five, like, <laughs> <laughs> and yes, yeah, so it's like, you really never, you really never know. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, you know, I, I say as well is that you, when, when Jeremy's talking about his speed work, that he hates whatever it is, or even I hate know, it I, too. Right. <laughs> is that you have felt this level of discomfort before. Like, mm -hmm. you, you have felt suffering before and that's the reason that you do train hard is because you have felt suffering before you and that's why when you do get into 100 mile or whatever the distance is that you're trying or, or uh, up a mountain the side of a mountain like you're trying to do right <laughs> whatever that is you're trying to do, you have felt a level of suffering before that you can recall and i think mm -hmm. that's that's the importance of why you do push yourself in training and that's why it pays off um, right. david goggins says it this way he, he talks about the idea that in your training in the process of it you, you put cookies in a cookie jar and when things get really bad you take those cookies out and you kind of process and you eat those because you can recall those difficult moments of your training it's the same concept uh, of that but yeah i love that i call those like character building runs yeah, right yeah. and i think they're like necessary because you realize it's like okay like if every single run in your training block went perfectly right well then 
what the heck like you, you have to have those long runs that don't go as planned because then it's kind of like a reminder like oh i know how to suffer <laughs> or well, know that, how to get that's through something yeah that's yeah. that's the point of the tra- that's how you train the mental side is that you have to acknowledge that when it goes bad that is actually you training your mental side of it like this is something that's not new to you right but. And I, I also worked with a sports psychologist too, because mm-hmm. like, well, for me, getting back to running is a bit different. I had to kind of like go through some of like the traumatic things of kind of going back into the mountains again. But this is also something that I'm interested in from my neuroscience background, but of just like being completely in the moment. I think mm-hmm. in running, it's one of the few times where we where we can be in the moment and not get stuck in the past or in the future, right? Like you have to do what you can in this moment to work through digestive issues that you're having, or, you know, certain moments in a race during Madeira, I was feeling like, oh my gosh, I have this much longer to go. And so I had to, I had to practice like bringing myself back to the current moment and saying, okay, what can I do now to help me feel okay? And to help me get through this moment and focus on what I like this current footstep. And it's, it's really hard. And yeah, I'm, I even, you know, talk with the, with the, my sports psychi- psychologist about this. Like she's awesome in helping me practice that mentality. Right. I think it's awesome. So, <laughs> so as we kind of, let's recap and then we're going to move yeah, on yeah. to the next step. So <laughs> first step, we talked about belief and fostering that belief and essentially convincing ourselves repeatedly, right. That of Affirming. what's to come. Then we're going to get started. It's the idea of just show up. And this is what strength looks like. It's the fear, um, even though it's there by just leaning into it. Mm-hmm. Step three is be prepared to problem solve. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I think we and, just talked about it. <laughs> yeah. And that is whether it's during a run or it may be that life happened. But bottom line, once we set these goals and we're going after them, things are going to come up that yep. we didn't plan for. And so it's okay. Take it on as a challenge. Be prepared to, mm-hmm. to problem solve so that we can move forward. So once we've kind of got that out of the way, as we built these steps, we're like, okay, so what's the next trap we tend to fall into? And this is where, and you started to get into it a little bit. I think it really comes down to identity and comparison. And so now maybe we're doing these things, but we look at somebody else and say, but he's faster than me They're Yeah. Right. Hey, this person's progressing or what are they going to think? If, Hey, this is a big deal for me, but when I show up on race day, what is everybody else going to think? Whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And you started touching a little bit on, I think the achievement versus attainment or the, you know, the day is the day, mm-hmm. but the right. process is really kind of what defines you. So let's talk into that. You can mm-hmm. achieve, but not attain, or how do you get away from tying your identity to either a result or the outcome. And again, you touched on it a little bit, but super mm-hmm. interested in it. Yeah. So there's a few things that I want to say for this topic. It's like the whole idea of a, you can achieve it and not attain it. This is this whole idea of like, and I've been guilty of it too, like wanting to hold on to that finish line feeling. Like, I mean, like, you know, cuddling that trophy at night and like hoping that it brings me some sort of satisfaction or like hoping that it'll bring me happiness or whatever I was chasing, right? That like success, like all of this stuff, when really, you know, you have to get that from within. So there's satisfaction in achieving of the goals from deep down, because I think for me, at least it's, um, there's huge satisfaction in that process and that achievement, but I can't attain it in any way, shape or form. And I don't, and I don't want to, um, because literally the first thing that people ask you after you finish across the finish line is what's next. Right. And it's like, 
okay, can I just like, you know, hold in this moment a little bit? And it's still hard for me too, because it's hard, you know, I'm a very goal-oriented person. So I want Mm -hmm. to move on to the next thing. So it's hard to like, you know, really be celebrate that achievement. Right. So I think that kind of, yeah, that kind of sums up like the, you can achieve it and not attain it. But the other, the other part would remind me of the other part that you asked me about. That I and that, that's really it is about tying your identity. You talked about it a lot in the book was now oh, having yeah. to come back and say, Hey, something changed about me. And, and I'm not really sure who I am anymore because mm-hmm. running is potentially changed. And so you went through a, a pretty interesting process. Mm-hmm. And even what you just said, right? We've talked about it several times. I'm the kind of person that I come into almost a, a mini depression after a big run or a big right. race because I tie so much to that day and I recognize it and that's <laughs> he's shaking his head at me, but I still go through it. And I guess right. had, had a similar thing. So it may be one other thing that I'll, I'll throw out there. You kind of ended the book mm-hmm. and you talked about, you did go back to Tremso. Mm-hmm. And one of the rules, you had some rules at the end, and one of the rules was, okay, hey, let's not talk about the accident anymore. And the quote that you had was, I am so much more than a bad day in the mountains. Like, hey, that doesn't define who I am. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really yeah. kind of gets at the heart of that process. Um, right. So as we walk through, what are your thoughts on that? Somebody setting a big goal, they're going to go do it. But, you know, we got to be careful about tying who we are to these things that we're chasing. Yeah. And that was something I think I was guilty of before the accident. I was going down this, this road of that, you know, I was only as good as my next result. Mm -hmm. I was only as good as my, as my PR. And I was stuck in this thing of comparison. And I think that this was this whole idea of like, I had to work past that in, in my recovery. And a big thing that I had to work kind of through this was that I was now labeled as the comeback kid. Like, you know, it's like, oh, you're, you make this amazing comeback. And I had to stop because I said, I thought to myself, well, no, because I think for that first year of recovery, I was chasing who this old version of me, I was chasing being that same elite runner and I wasn't the same. And that was really hard to, to swallow because I f- was fearful that it meant that I would be less that Mm -hmm. I was going to be not as good. I was not going to be elite anymore. But really, once I accepted that that was okay, that I didn't have to be elite anymore, and that I just wanted to run because I loved it, that I was able to kind of get back to that place and then realize that it's okay that I'm not the same person anymore. And I don't want to be because I'm different. I've changed. And this whole idea of comparison, I was stuck comparing myself to these other elite runners who I was lining up on the start line with post-accident. I don't train the same way as them. I, my body's different. I can't run as much. I do more cycling. I do more strength training. And I've like kind of pieced together these puzzle pieces that, you know, work for me and they're different. And it's so, it's amazing. And it's, um, it's allowed me to break through many barriers, realizing that I don't have to come back to anything because I'm different and change equals growth. And I think, you know, any athlete can, can hold on to that in, 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 you know, one way, shape or form. And that's also what I write about in, in the book is that, you know, I am, you know, more than one bad day in the mountains. And that's just, you are more than one bad performance. You're more than one bad workout. You're more than one bad run. And 
it's changed my perspective on running and life in general. I mean, I would even go one step further. You're, you're more than one successful win in Madeira. You're, you're, more, you're, more, you're more than the good. You're more than the bad. You're more than mm-hmm. just that moment. I, I mean, I think it's great. Um, you have got a lot that you are involved in. Um, <laughs> a lot that you do. You just start rattling them off as well. Like, and, and Jeremy mentioned them all at the beginning. Um, you just have a lot of different um, things that you invest your time in. Mm-hmm. Um, with everything that you have going on, right? What brings you the most joy? Oh man, that's hard. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh man. Is it van life? It's gotta be van it's life. Be van life. <laughs> you know, okay. So I mean, it would be a cop out to say like, oh yeah, just running around. Your sponsors like, I aren't do... listening. <laughs> no, 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 no. I love, I mean, I love running. I love being outside. That's like something that does really bring me sure. joy. Um, and this is really ironic. So like people who really know we well are just gonna be like, really? But like, it's really truthful. I mean, I'm a very introverted person. I can be very extroverted and I, and I, and I love to interact with the community, but I think like something that has brought me so much joy, especially this past year when, you know, when I was going through my own recovery and doubting everything was the ability to interact with the community and see how, how people could genuinely relate to my story because mm-hmm. writing this book, it's, you know, it's kind of like walking out naked in public. Like it's out there. Like I can't delete these words. People are going to read these, these things and know about some of the most, you know, raw and intimate moments in my, in my life. And my hope with all of this was trying to help someone else who is going through either an injury or just a big life change. And it's been so incredible to see and hear the stories of how my story has been able to help people. Um, you know, whether that's from messages on Instagram to in-person conversations or people that I meet randomly, like just on my way back from Madeira, I was able to stop in London and they've got a great run community there. And it was so incredible to see and to hear from people. And it just brings me so much joy. And, um, and it, I think it's, it shows that like, you know, running, Yes, it's it's such a selfish and personal act, but it's it's so it's it's a, it's a community, mm-hmm. and I think it's like a common thread that can like link us all together. Uh, you know, no matter where we are in the world. So as much as I love moving, I would and like you know being outside and being by myself in the mountains, I would say that that's probably one of the things that's brought me the most joy this year. That's fantastic. That's, that's a great answer. And the the community aspect, we couldn't agree more. Actually, uh, you know, obviously that's why we started this and everything that we do connecting has been amazing. And we're lucky enough to just have such a tight, supportive, it's, it's just a bunch of friends hanging out on social media, <laughs> interacting, you know, and um, it's amazing. Uh, I do have before we kind of start moving towards signing off, I do have one really important question. And it's, what is Michelle like to coach? I just, <laughs> just want to know what Michelle's like to coach. <laughs> oh man, Michelle is great. I know. I, oh man. I would say I have to like, make sure that Michelle doesn't do too much because she is, she just loves it so much. And she does all, all she like wants to keep going. I'm just like, all right, hold on. Mm-hmm. You're going to rest for three days after <laughs> like the freaking hundred miler that you just did. And like, got, you know, like did amazing at <laughs> Yeah, she is incredible. She's so awesome. she's she's great to coach, and I would say that there's like a little bit of some similarities between her and I because my coach always has to be like, "Yo, Hill, 
chill out for a sec. <laughs> that is a great question. That's incredible. Love you, Michelle. You're great. <laughs> We're going to keep that in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this was awesome to me. Oh, so good. And so, I mean, I think as we sign off to, again, huge congratulations on the Madeira run. Um, you. You, you, I think you talked about it. 72 miles, 23,600 feet of gain. I think there was a little bit, I think it was a elevation, uh, negative elevation, right? For total for the race. I think it was more downhill than that. Yeah, so, this is so punishing at the end after you, <laughs> and you climb like 22 or 22 and a half thousand of those feet in the first like 45 miles. So, yeah. <laughs> so we actually know a lot about that because we live in coastal North Carolina. And mm -hmm. I mean, most of my runs, I get about eight feet of gain. So it depends on if you do the other loop, we can get 30 feet sometimes. Almost oh the boy. same. You guys have got to go further west. And uh, the quest for the crest, uh, what we we summited Mount Mitchell in North yeah, Carolina. Mm -hmm. so yeah, no. There's some gnarly train out there. But there yeah. is. There is. We just stay away from it's it. It's many hours away. <laughs> I don't have a van. Oh. <laughs> no, we do. And, and honestly, and maybe we'll, uh, you know, while I, while I got everybody here, maybe we'll, we'll ask you to come back again. Cause honestly, I would love to pick your brain about how to train. Yeah. About actual training and elevation. Some of the things yeah. that you do, um, for flatlanders, <laughs> right. like how do you know, flatlanders prepare to go to do hills. Right. And I got my start in trail running when I was living in Denver in a flat city. So uh -huh. yeah, so I'd love to come back. Yeah. That, she, you heard it. You're stuck now. <laughs> No, but, um, but seriously, congratulations on that. For Obviously sure. it's been quite a journey for everybody listening. We want to thank you guys for plugging in. You mean the world to us. Um, you know, and if, if you're finding value, please follow, share, tell your friends. And as far as Hillary goes, like you said, there's so much. So go <laughs> check her out. The surface, man. Right. You can just but you can just Google, you're going to find all kinds of stuff out there, but you got the trail society podcast, um, with your friends, Keely and Kareen. You've got on Instagram, you're at hilly goat underscore climbs. Mm -hmm. You're hillaryallen.com. And there's, I was, I was poking around there. You got some pretty neat videos in there too. Um, the one that really got me was your first race back after the accident. Yeah. Um, they captured some really neat moments. So for everybody listening, go check that out. And then, like I said, just go consume. There's, you've got some just amazing podcasts as a guest out there as well, including our friend Gags. Right. Um, <laughs> But uh, just thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you so much. All right. We will talk soon and cut, cut. Hello. Hi. I'm so sorry. I'm late. It's a delay. I'm not used to seeing such a delay. I don't see the delay. I don't see what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, she... Uh, she put us in contact. That's awesome. Yeah, but I just started coaching Michelle. She's awesome. Oh my God, I am giddy with excitement. Giddy. That's All the right. word I used. So yeah, much. sorry. I had to do the happy birthday to Jeremy on, no. the, on the live. When did you do that? Did you message her? Or Let's not worry about these things. She didn't. She never told us who her coach was. She just <laughs> said she had a coach. And then afterwards, we started talking to her like, why didn't you say anything? She's like, I totally should have name dropped. <laughs> but she did not helpful. not helpful i'm jeff by the way hi i'm uh, hillary i mean yeah. <laughs> we'll just start that way we don't get into anything good that we really want in the podcast for sure okay oh, you shoot three ready one two three one two three <laughs> and her she talked about her good friend that was an ultra runner who's gags
Yeah, yeah, Gags, he's awesome. Oh God, can we talk to Gags? Can we talk to Hillary? That would be incredible. <laughs> it was so yeah, good to meet thanks you. Thanks so much. Yeah, you both too. And uh, good luck with those speed sessions. <laughs> All right, I don't do them. <laughs> And I can't keep rambling because if we keep rambling, we're yep. going to be running out of time. So.